Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Henry Burson. Henry is the co-host of a podcast focused on the video game Apex Legends called the Third Party Podcast. He also works in influencer marketing. He's an ambassador with Patreon. And so he's going to talk a lot about the creator economy and how you yourself can be successful as a creator. Let's talk to Henry. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Henry Burson, who is a co-host of the Third Party Podcast, specializing in Apex Legends. He's also very experienced in influencer marketing, and I think he has utilized some of his learnings to build his own business around a podcast. It's really impressive, and I'm really excited to have you today here, Henry. Thanks so much for inviting me, John. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I think we need to shout out our buddy Tyler at Complexity for making the connection. He's like, got a two two dudes here in the esports space who are podcasting, and they should get together. And then, guess what, Tyler? Here we are. Yep. Now we're we're partners in crime, creating content together on the show. So it's awesome. Thanks so much, Tyler. Boom. Look at us. Look at us. So t- take me through this. I want to talk a little bit about Apex. I want to talk a little bit about this this podcast that you've grown. So why don't you start out telling us about what is the third party podcast? Yeah. So third party podcast is my show. Started about two and a half years ago, and we, for two episodes every single week that are about 60 minutes long a piece, we talk about one video game, and that's Apex Legends. And maybe I have a problem, but that's kind of where my passion is, and we fill that time with ease. Never a shortage wow. of topics, and it's just all one game. You must love that game. Yes, I do. Tell me why. Yeah, so day one player, you know, came out. 2019 it's based around the titanfall 2 universe and i was really into that game and so when it released for free out of nowhere i was right there me and my buddy now co-host shay jumped on the game and really just started enjoying it this was around the time that you know fortnite was really big yep I was not good at Fortnite, never got a win. Now the no build is a thing. I've gotten back into it, but at the time I was just in a drought, didn't have anything, and Apex came along, really filled that void for me in gaming. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I can relate to that, uh, not directly, but through a friend. I'm more of an FGC guy. I'm just terrible at FPS games, and I'm just... You know, when Halo came out, I just started spinning in circles and getting shot in the head. And I was like, this is embarrassing. So I went skateboarding. And then anytime I was in front of a console, I'm playing Street Fighter. But a good friend of mine, Donnie Newfis, a uh, big Apex fan as well. And what he was sharing with me, he's like, John, like, I love Apex because I'm not a great, like, solo guy. I'm not great at being yeah. the dude taking everybody out, but I'm a great support role. And so I have the opportunity to contribute to a team in a meaningful way. And that's been a big differentiator for him really enjoying Apex versus Fortnite. And it sounds like that's the same for you. I would 100% agree with that. And I would take it another step further and say it's the most team-based battle royale 
on the market right now, like yeah. way more than Fortnite and Warzone. And that's a huge reason why I like it as well. But on top of just the team framework that the whole game is built on, the gunplay is amazing. It's a hero shooter in a BR environment, which I think is really compelling to yeah. play. And then the movement tech, it, it's next level compared to anything else that's in the battle royale space so i think it just covers so many bases for me that i'm now here you know almost three years later still playing it almost every day the dlc drop podcast is sponsored by ice shaker i've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years ever since i met founder chris gronkowski what i love about this product is the brand story the functionality and the customization iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my iShaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for iShaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your ice shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC drop branded ice shaker at iceshaker.com forward slash DLC drop. Save 20% on all ice shaker products with the discount code DLC drop. That's awesome. I do want to talk about, you mentioned you're a day one player and I remember Apex Legends day one very specifically because I work, I was working in marketing for GameStop at the time. And like you said, it came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere for us too. And rumor has it, I don't want to etch this in stone because I don't want to misspeak if, you know, the, the details sure. are off at all. But the general understanding was that EA, who publishes Apex, they had had a little bit of a tough sledding the the couple years before that with some games that didn't quite perform the way that they wanted and so rather than having all this typical build up and you're talking mm -hmm. about the game the development for years and then like right before you it's this huge ramp up to try to sell a ton of games they just secretly lined up a ton of influencers to play at day one but they didn't even tell the GameStop EA marketing person that it was coming out because they were afraid that if it flopped, you know, you see Fortnite was just crushing the world at that time, still is of course, but you know, they couldn't afford really a, another bad PR moment around a game release and they said, oh, you know, if it doesn't do too well, we can kind of position it like, yeah, something in the background, dipping our toe in the battle royale sure. and I think, I'm curious your take on this is, from what I understand, is they may have lost out on a little bit of an opportunity to scale because the game actually did incredibly well, but then they were not built and ready to take it to the next level because they were more like, you know, shoring up to make sure it didn't feel like a failure if there was one. Yeah, that, that could be very true. I think it's a risk either way. You know, you, you release some content before a game drops, you know, there's going to be some hate, maybe some backlash questions that you can't answer, which can make a release maybe a little bit negative. But if you come out of nowhere and drop the game, you know, you can not even make a noise because nobody is excited about it. Yeah. Apex got lucky, but I think possibly more than just the 
way out of left field release of this huge AAA BR and like the prime market opportunity is the timing. Like the calendar period that the game came out, March, I feel like is the best for a free to play game because it's okay. after the holiday season. The lack of noise, there. is that what you're saying? Yeah, you yeah. know, they, they've played through that $60 title and they're looking for something free to play. And even to this day, that cycle on their seasons is still a real high point where they convert a lot of new players. So I think the timing was also critical for the release. Yeah, and for the audience listening who doesn't quite understand the typical release cycles, now you have so many video games are releasing all throughout the year. If you're looking up, you know, 2022 or 2023 video game releases, you're going to see that coming out every single month. But spring is kind of like a a mini title season, if you will. You have some of the bigger Mm -hmm. ones releasing. And then in the fall, right before holiday, right before mom and dad are going to get little Johnny much beloved Christmas present, like the big ones drop. And so that's where you typically see NBA 2K, Madden, Call of Duty is coming out around that time, around a lot of other titles. I do remember during that time, a lot of it was like, is this the Fortnite killer? Right, because everybody yeah. was looking for a Fortnite killer, and I think major props to Epic that they have just completely kept their finger on the pulse of the community to keep Fortnite going and evolve it. I've done panels on talking about like you know musical concerts in Fortnite and stuff like that, but it turned out not necessarily to be a Fortnite killer, but to be a very successful game in its own right and a successful esport title. I mean, as a creator that is in love with the game and has been kind of staking my career against the game's success, I feel like I've been really, really lucky over the last three years that Apex not only started out strong, maintained the majority of the player base. You know, a lot of people, you know, a year after it released, were talking about dead game. But the truth is that never really happened. And then over the last two years, it's only grown so like the first half of this year there was more watch hours for apex than there was for fortnite or warzone so wow. it it's a very very successful game that weirdly enough doesn't drop as frequent of content hmm. but i really believe that the the legends the number of maps that are playable and just how they create the quality content keeps the game you know on the front page yeah i was just going to ask what do you attribute that you know, the maintaining, but also the growth do, would it be those things or anything else you'd add? I think that the growth based off of the seasonal content drops is very apparent that everyone always wants to come back to apex in order to try the new legend. But aside from that, I also just think that when you're working on a free to play game, that just seasonal nature is going to be easy because the barrier to entry is zero. Right. Well, you know, Fortnite really broke that model wide open. Mm -hmm. And I was, once again, there at GameStop when that happened. And boy, let me tell you, if you wanted to see people scramble, it was millions of people playing a free game that you did not have to purchase at a retailer. And, you know, the big answer for retailers at that time was was the peripherals everybody now wanted a headset because everyone's playing fortnite and then they want to talk with their friends more so than previous games and we've seen quite a few games since then apply that model of free to play and then there's in-game purchases dlc it's so weird because 
you know, I work in the space. I'm trying to edu educate myself more on different monetization methods in games. I do not buy skins. You know, I, I play games for the gameplay, for the win. I don't need things that are flashy. So historically, I've, I really haven't been a great customer. Of, what you're telling me is you have not contributed to the revenue of Apex Legends in any way. Is that other than driving many people to the game through your very popular podcast? Of course. That's holistically true. More recently, I've spent a little bit of money for All fun right. now that I have more disposable income. But for the most part, I really, I don't really spend money on these free to play games, but it surprises me how efficient it is. You know, Apex is bringing in almost a billion dollars in net revenue and it's a free game. So Insane. I think the model works. If you, if you get all the pieces together, you can definitely make a lot of money based off a free game. Well, and arguably, the more effectively you monetize your podcast, the more disposable income you have to then spend on these in-game purchases. Right, Do I have that right? Okay, great. That's right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that aspect, because I think what's really interesting with my podcast, I've, I've always been very careful not to get like too locked into just one thing. Now, I also have like pretty broad interests. So I am interested in marketing, in music, in traditional sports, as well as esports. And so while the foundation of this podcast is in esports, we do go above and beyond to the tangential things that tend to touch sports and entertainment. You have very purposely, I'm not going to say pigeonholed because that has kind of a negative connotation, but I will say targeted effectively, clearly. You're attached to the hip to this game. What is... That, that, that feels like that could have some pros and some cons to it. Yeah, I mean, well, starting a podcast based around a video game, when my buddy told me about this idea, I did not believe it at all. You know, like <laughs> I, I studied business in college. I'm pretty entrepreneurial. I, I want to make money with my passions. Like that's my goal. Yeah. And he was telling me, you know, there's not very many shows that are about Apex. We talk about Apex all the time. I know we could do this really well. And I was just thinking, a video game is a visual medium. Yeah. No one is gonna listen to anyone talk about something that is so visual. Now, taking a step back, I wasn't super involved in the podcast industry to that point. And so if you think about my thoughts now, retrospectively sports is a pretty visual medium as well and that's sure. a huge podcast niche so i was pretty hesitant to dive straight into a podcast all about video games but we did it and it, it seems to be working so far what was the thing that won you over that turned your skepticism into optimism well to be honest the ease of doing a podcast is kind of what allowed me to pull the trigger that it wasn't going to take me 20 hours of editing. I had done some YouTube content in the past. I'd done some vlogging, email marketing, social media, different stages and podcasts. It was so easy for me to, you know, spend a few hundred dollars on some nicer equipment than just my phone and then talk with my friend in our rooms during a pandemic. Like it's so easy. So why not give it a shot? Yeah. And do you, do you feel that you're, lifestyle as a gamer helped you kind of naturally step into that? Totally. Like definitely being comfortable 
talking with the headset and mic, I think definitely is an easy step into podcasting, but also just being very comfortable at a desk in front of a computer talking about a game that you already play. It's such a, you're, you're right that it's just a half step away from starting a podcast. And you've been doing this podcast for about two and a half years. Is that right? That's right. So every single week, never missed an episode. Never missed an episode. Wow. That's, yep. an, that's incredible. Yeah. We are here on, I think this week, number 85 wow. releases. And there was one week where just for our good friend, Michael Ashford, we wanted to make sure that we <laughs> had the premium video that he sent over. So nice. we took a, bre- a breather to celebrate episode 35 and then cool. stepped right in. So in 86 weeks, we have delivered 85 episodes and thankful to this incredible team who has made it possible. I'm curious of some of the things that are different from episode one to two and a half years later. So first of all, what were your goals when you first started this with this podcast? Yeah, so the goals were the hardest one for me was to have fun. Don't try to businessy it up too much because that's just so such an immediate thought for my brain is how are we going to make money? How is this going to be scalable? So yeah. goal number one was to have fun and talk with my friend about Apex, which I love. But goal number two was to try to scale up as fast as possible to 10,000 followers on Instagram. So we didn't know at the time how to grow a podcast, but and there's no SEO, you know, on Apple podcasts, it's very hard to grow from zero. Sure. And so our strategy, given our experience was we we're going to start an apex legends, Instagram account. And so the goal was to as quickly as possible, grow to 10,000 so that we could get access to a swipe up link in the story. Because at the time we felt like that was how we were going to get conversion. And yeah, so in order to kind of make that blitz to 10K on Instagram, I posted three times per day to the story every single day for six months, five to 10 story posts a day, every single day for six months. We smashed that goal. It was really awesome. The swipe up story wasn't as big of a game changer as we predicted, but you know, so quickly getting to 10, 15, 20,000 followers on Instagram really established credibility for brands and guests, but also made a place for our community to gather where you don't really have a comment section on Apple or Spotify right now. So that was really key to our early growth. And I'm, I just pulled it up here right now and you're at 21,000 followers on for our listeners at third party pod. So you can add to that number yourself. So first of all, why'd you choose Instagram versus Twitter? Because Twitter is a big platform in the esports space. It's the biggest. I think Twitter is definitely the most valuable and that's why I'm making a concerted effort to grow my Twitter following both for the podcast and for myself, but it's much harder. Like at least my experience or my perspective on Twitter is you have to either be a little bit aggressive and start some commotion on Twitter or you have to get really lucky and get some viral content on Twitter. But Instagram, I, through my experience, I'd done some different accounts that were based off photography or fashion and different spaces. And if you just post 
quality, consistent content, you're gonna gain followers, you're gonna drive engagement. And so that was kind of the sure thing we felt like was to start with Instagram and we could post gameplay clips there and fan art and all these great things around Apex that we thought people would enjoy on top of just the podcast. Yeah, and I'm, I'm scrolling your feed now. And so I'm, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of fan art. You guys have some clips from your mm-hmm. podcast as well. You did mention that uh, you're posting three times a day. Is that, does that specifically work the al- algorithm just right to get a lot of awareness around your post? So the truth is we're not currently active on Instagram anymore. Oh no! Uh, kind of slowly started not posting as much, but that kind of three posts a day, that 9 a.m., 12 o'clock, and then three or six, we felt like was hitting our audience at the right times and then varying the content up a little bit so that it wasn't just three clips in a day. There was some art. There was maybe a clip from the podcast. There was then yep. maybe an awesome gameplay clip. So I think, yes. And how effective did you find because sometimes going from one platform to another is a really big challenge right you i mean in advertising for example typically advertisers when they are budgeting for a sale they will assume that two percent of people who see it will take an action to actually participate in the sale and that's pretty consistent as far as people taking actions and doing things but going from let's say like linkedin is kind of my major platform And so I'm posting a lot on LinkedIn clips, links to full episodes and things, but, and, and the platforms themselves don't like you to go off platform. So it's really interesting to figure out the right algorithm as far as posting organically on there versus pushing someone somewhere else. What has that been like over the last two and a half years, figuring out platform to platform? I can only share my empathy for you. Uh, I mean, I I feel the exact same way. That cross-platform promotion to try to get an audience from YouTube to Spotify or LinkedIn to Instagram is excruciatingly difficult. And I do not have the answers yet, but I would love to continue to explore that with you as we we find answers. It's really tough. I mean, the podcast over the first year and a half, two years, we kind of felt like guests were going to be a big way for us to grow. You know, it's me and my co-host, so we can just create content, you know, every single week. We don't have to depend on anybody else. Sure. But we felt like if we brought in some YouTubers, if we brought in game designers, voice actors, pro players, yeah. all these really big people in the industry, maybe they would port over some of their audience. And the truth is we didn't really feel that you know we had a couple big episodes with the lead game designer where we broke some big news and had some media coverage about it but other than that even if these youtubers put something in their video shouting us out or retweeted our post we weren't seeing a huge bump from doing guests so growing and trying to get audiences from one platform to another is really really difficult yeah when people ask me how to do it effectively i just say time and consistency you know, I don't believe that there's a such thing as a big break. You might have a breakthrough, but a breakthrough is the result of consistently, repeatedly going, 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 hitting that same spot again, 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 yep. every week, a new episode. Every, and over time, you know, content success often looks like a hockey stick graph. 
And mm-hmm. so you're going super far. Boop. You got the handle and then boom, up it goes. Right. And sometimes when I'm thinking about, oh, what am I doing here? What do I want to do long term? This, that, and the other. Honestly, one of the things that gets me most hyped is like, I've been doing this for a year and a half. (laughs) You think I'm going to give up now? I'm like, Uh I'm down this graph, you know? So why would I, why would I stop now? What has been your experience with that as you start, you're setting expectations because you do want to have fun. You do want to learn whatever those goals are that are very important to set. But in the back of your mind always, it's like, what's my viewership? Is anybody listening? Yeah. So I had said that my main goal was to have fun, but because the Instagram started picking up pretty quickly, you know, we were posting so aggressively that we gained our first thousand, two thousand, four thousand within a few months. Very quickly, my spreadsheets started coming out, tracking growth, getting excited. And, you know, we were at a point where we were growing by 20% week over week like wow. our listenership and when you're small you know that's not a ton of numbers but sure if we were able to maintain that 20 percent, you know week over week growth i was getting really really excited we went from but, eight to ten listeners i know pretty I excited know, so yeah good keep that percentage and obviously the truth of the matter is that is not consistently scalable. But as that kind of slowed down and as we reached our first 1000 listeners, that's where consistently we launched our Patreon. And that's really Mm -hmm. what changed the game for us trying to tailor our content to Patreon where we were doing weekly bonus episodes, we were doing live hangouts, we were doing replica weapons signed by us, t-shirts, like we went really hard on Patreon and that really helped us set goals for ourselves so that we could reward the people that were making the show possible. Now, was that always the plan in the back of your entrepreneurial mind? Or did something happen at some point where you said, wait a minute, I can put this behind a paywall, start doing exclusive things that people are willing to pay for? It was always kind of the plan. I didn't know how to do it because at the time I wasn't really familiar with the podcasting audience. But as I learned, we definitely started to narrow in our strategy. But over the last two and a half years of doing this podcast, definitely had a lot of different business ideas fire off from start my own esports org to doing, you know, talent management, doing a podcasting network. But the Patreon, we still have an amazing community on Patreon. And we have about 170 patrons that really provide my co-host and I meaningful passive income that goes directly into Apex Legends. Well, I don't spend all of it on the coins, but it definitely helps us stay motivated and reinvest into this fancy microphone I have and just being able to have the time to continue to do the podcast while balancing a career and other ventures. For those listening and not watching, Henry has a bright bejeweled microphone that is all (laughs) sorts of different colors and it kind of spins in a weird way. I've never seen anything like it. Just kidding. (laughs) I like it. So was Patreon your first choice or as your, because there's a lot of different options here. You got companies. I was on the way to the podcast studio today. I was listening to some interviews of the CEO of Patreon actually and made me think, did you just go there and you're happy or you evaluate a few options? So full transparency. This morning I had a call with somebody 
from Patreon. I really like them. I'm actually a part of the Patreon ambassador network. So I work with them to try to make the platform even better. And I love it. I really don't think there's anything better out there specifically for a podcaster. The pricing is incredible. How they do their tiers is really, really solid offers. Being able to do exclusive merch fulfillment through Patreon where I don't have to do anything at all is an incredible benefit as well that really gets my community excited but I don't have to do anything. I just upload the design, pick out what I want and then once people do their three or their six months of support, boom, it just gets auto sent to them. So I'm a huge fan of Patreon, but I am a little biased. Sounds like it. How do I get part of that ambassador program if I'm a listener and I'm, what is the path to getting on the inside there? So you're probably going to have to be a creator first and foremost. So you're going to have to create some content wherever you'd like, join Patreon, grow your community a little bit over there. And then I don't remember if we actually applied at the time or if we were invited. So there might be some sort of shadow goal you have to reach, but it's definitely been a cool opportunity for me to gain some more insight about how the platform works. Yeah. Now you do some influencer marketing. And so I'm curious, how has doing your own stuff, which is always very different because you got skin in the game. um, Mm -hmm. How is, how has that influenced your work with other creators i think it's a game changer because i just have so much that i can relate with different influencers on you know i'm not out here making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month or a year but i do understand how difficult is it to do an ad draft for a sponsorship what kind of deliverables are way too much what's not enough what matters to an influencer a lot of brands think oh it's just a tweet well I have a Twitter where it's my community and I know that that means something to me and I need to be compensated (laughs) for that. So I think that helps me a lot. But the reason that I wanted to go into influencer marketing is because as a creator, I didn't know if this stuff was real. I didn't Mm. know that if a brand paid some streamer, you know, thousands of dollars. And I will, Hey, I didn't know how much they were getting paid. So I wanted to figure that out. But then I also wanted to figure out, does it work? Is there ROI behind these sponsorships? And the answer is yes, but it definitely depends. There's a lot of creative strategy that goes into it. There's a lot of relationship building that goes into it, but that's why I got into the space was because I was a creator and I had questions about how it works. So I just tried to find a job doing exactly that. That's awesome. What are some of the things that you've identified that enable ROI for a brand through influencer marketing? Because we all know it's a thing, right? Ever since Kim Kardashian probably posted the (laughs) first thing many years ago and everybody bought it. And then we see specifically in gaming, many of the top influencers are gamers. But I can tell you, having worked at a big brand before, it's a black hole from a data perspective a lot of times. And I've, you know... I've been at places where I'm vouching for influencer programs and the response is we can't measure what we're doing, whether we do it right or wrong. We can't make informed decisions. So we can't step our foot in there. So I think it'd be really helpful for people to understand what are some of the ways they can be effective. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And a few weeks ago, I was at VidCon talking with potential 
future clients, but also some creators in the space and existing clients. And the phrase of the week was, it depends, you know, like, <laughs> It depends on the brand. It depends on the platform. You know, like a game developer is probably going to want to sponsor Twitch because it's great for brand awareness, great for getting people's, you know, authentic reactions to the game. But if you're trying to sell a physical product, then you're going to see more conversions on YouTube, historically speaking. So, Mm. you know, what is going to be the indicator for success in influence marketing? It depends. But I think if you take a step back and you just say you're going to make those informed decisions based off your specific goals and product or business, having authentic, transparent relationships with creators, I think is what's going to make the difference for the bottom line and the ROI. You know, you want to get the most out of an influencer. Right. And so a lot of times you're paying a lot and we justify that as it's brand awareness. Maybe you're giving back to the community. If it's a game, you want to keep people happy. So you sponsor some influencers. But if you have that great back and forth, authentic relationship, you're going to get more than maybe you, you bargained for. And so get an extra social post, get an extra comments, having them actually respond to comments or a chat if they're doing a sponsored stream. That's what is going to make the difference between getting people to the landing page, getting them to buy something is if the influencer really trusts and likes the brand that they're working with. Yeah, I think we can all relate that, you know, if we look at our own work that we do each day, we do more of what we enjoy, right? Like there's stuff you got to get done. If you were to just be self-aware about where you spend your time, they say where your money and your time is, that's where your heart is, right? That's true in our personal lives as well as our professional lives. And so it's just a truth that if you are setting up an influencer to do what they enjoy, you're going to get more value out of them. Now, the other part, I always say the script for the influencer is an oxymoron. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like the reason why you as a brand are going to this person is because people aren't buying your product from you and your Mm -hmm. commercials that you're gating content and experiences with, right? Or not as much as you'd like. And so by you going to someone who has a huge following and reaching their community in ways that are not the reason why they engage, you're just shooting yourself in the foot, right? Totally. You want them to sell the product their way to their community, how, you know, it's that how it works for them. You know, like creators are selling themselves to people every single day. They're selling their own merchandise. They're good at what they do. That's why you're trying to pay them. So just let them do what they want to do within reason. Well, on the other side of it too, having, you know, dipped my toe here in the the content creation world for the past year and a half is it became so obvious to me like how much you value the content you put out to your community because you typically know what works and you know if you're selling out but you're like my goodness like you're tripping over dollars to pick up pennies if you're going to put something out that's not you that's obviously Mm ad focus i mean even if it's hashtag ad something that doesn't feel like you people start stop following you and it hurts you long term so it's more it's a bigger consideration than just oh i'm a brand marketer and i want this to be effective you also have to have the the creator in mind as well and saying 
how can I be a good partner to them long-term, even when I'm not part of what they're doing? How can I help them put something out that is going to be consistent with their community? And then guess what? That's going to perform better as well. Yeah. Having agreement that is mutually beneficial is key. And as the brand, you want that because industry standard pricing reflects that burden on the creator. Like if you do a a mid-roll on YouTube, maybe that's going to be 10 to $20 CPM. But if you do a dedicated video where you're going to have them do an entire video, that could be 50 to $100 CPM. And the reason is it's a huge risk for the creator to mess with their algorithm, mess with their audience, maybe do something they don't usually do. And they want to be compensated for that risk. So as the brand, if you don't want to pay a premium price, just do what's mutually beneficial. Now, I always love seeing everything from both sides of the coin because it doesn't help. It's really easy, right, for us to be here and feel good about talking about supporting creators and let them do their thing. The, The only, you know, like organic and authentic and all of these things but we also live in reality right Mm -hmm. and so it does us no good just to see that side of the coin we need to see the side of that an agency or a brand will actually view this from right and that is i've got a specific message i've got specific kpis like this is business this isn't just let's make fun videos how can a brand balance that so that we're doing the stuff we just talked about, but I'm also making sure I don't get fired because I just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on fun videos that support somebody's creative goals? <laughs> yeah, it, that's definitely the challenge. And that's why I work with an agency. That's kind of what I get paid to do. But it's kind of all about establishing appropriate goals. Mm-hmm. and making sure you're picking the right influencers, the right platform, all those things. Like you're right, you can be authentic or organic or whatever you wanna say, have flexibility. But at the end of the day, influencer marketing is made or broken based off of your influencer selection. If mm. the person doesn't like the brand, if they're not a perfect fit, if their community isn't great, you're not gonna be successful even if you have the best strategy in the world. So. I'd say that's what makes or breaks it. But the flip side to the same exact coin is that creators can be the same exact way. Maybe they don't care about being authentic. Maybe they just want the paycheck. I know this for a lot of creators. (laughs) Sure. And so, can you name all of them? Just kidding. uh, (laughs) (laughs) But it does go both ways that people just either want the ROI or they want to hit their goals or they just want the money as a creator. And so, picking the right brands and the right influencers that have shared common interest, that's what makes the difference. And that's what's going to make you successful. Yeah, that's a great insight. So if I'm a brand and I'm trying to pick the right creator, what are some of the things to be aware of or some of those filters? Because I'm thinking like, let's say me and you, for example, right? So Mm -hmm. we're both wearing hats. Okay. Like people who follow me know I wear hats a lot. So, oh, like a hat sponsor would probably make a lot of sense or we have headphones for our podcast. So that's a thing. I'm a skateboarder. So that's something that I, I naturally do something that would have to do with, you know, in that world, ice shaker is a sponsor of this episode. And so, you know, they're an organic fit with like the fitness and the skateboarding stuff that I do. I'm also thinking size of following. Right. Mm -hmm. And so ever, some people are just like, Oh, give me the biggest, 
It's like, well, it's not necessarily effective. You want high engagement, of course. What am I missing from those things that people can put in their notebook and follow? Yeah, so the truth about influence marketing is for the most part, when we're doing testing, when we're working with a brand for the first time, we're doing an influencer marketing campaign, it's all iteration. You know, you're testing, okay, is YouTube better? Is TikTok better? Is Twitch better? Instagram, Twitter, Discord, whatever it is, you're going through that. You're testing different deliverables. But the truth is when we're in that phase, which can be a long phase, we're looking at demographics. Does it line up with what the brand wants? Age, region, gender, that is going to be the main thing. But if you're looking for something more long-term, if you're looking after you got that data, what worked, what actually converted, what created the best ad experience from your perspective, then going into the long-term, starting to look at who are the best brand partners that have those common interests, that have a community, that have a personality that really aligns with your brand identity, that's kind of those subjective things that are intangible. But the truth is like, if you're diving straight into influence marketing as a brand or maybe as a person wanting to work in the space, you're looking at demographics, you're looking at the actual CPM value and you wanna do your best to align that with the brand, but that's all you can do because just diving straight into like a personality test over an influencer is way too time consuming, probably impossible, and isn't going to yield the same results as just testing and spending some money to figure out what sticks, what works. That's right. And the other thing to identify too is, you know, influencers is part of your marketing mix. So it's not like you're trying to accomplish every single thing you want to accomplish through influencer. There are specific things that as you set those expectations and those goals, you're saying, okay, my YouTube pre-roll ad buy strategy is this. I want to accomplish this through that. When I do activations at a live event, for example, cans and hands, as Red Bull says, you know, yeah. like I'm accomplishing this. And then when I'm working with an influencer, I'm trying to accomplish X, Y, Z. What are some of the things that you see uh, that are good goals for a brand to have through influencer that they can accomplish? Yeah, I think doing your best to align your branded content with their content is a really low hanging fruit early objective. If you can make it so that it's a seamless transition from the Mm. ad to the content, that goes a long way to making the audience feel comfortable, making the influencer feel comfortable so that it isn't hashtag ad. It's, you know, as authentic as you can make it while still being a sponsored segment. So yeah. I would say that that is good as an early goal. As you continue to develop, hitting an ROI of 80%, 100%, that's okay for influencer marketing. I've seen, you know, 200%, 500%, incredible numbers with micro-influencers specifically, mm-hmm. but if you're able to focus on influence marketing as primarily maybe market research or brand awareness or community engagement, those are realistic goals when you're starting. And, and that's just through my experience. But obviously I have seen some, some outlier cases where you put a tiny little bit of money into TikTok and it just is a rocket ship of sales and is crazy. So anything can happen with influence marketing. That's why I love the space, but that's kind of my experience of what I see as the truth. I really like that point about the type of content and that might also assist in helping you pick someone out 
too, right? Because you absolutely you don't want obviously your TV ad or your YouTube pre-roll to be just a completely different vibe than what you're doing with this influencer. And so viewing some some content and say, hey, this is this is pretty close. That might be a starting point. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's kind of something that I have found a little bit odd in the influencer space Mm -hmm. because influencers are typically priced based off of their viewership, Mm -hmm. but they're also designing the ad. They're coming up with a creative strategy. Like they are doing more than just getting paid for their audience. And that isn't currently always reflected in the pricing of them. So that's something to kind of take into consideration that if you want it to be authentic, you're kind of getting that for free in most cases because pricing is based off the audience, not the content that you're paying them to create. So it's kind of a good deal when I think about it like that. So if I'm on the influencer, the content creator side, I also want to make sure that I'm getting paid for that content creation piece of it as yeah. well, right? Do you have any advice for, you know, if somebody from an agency or a brand's coming to you, let's mm-hmm. use, use you as the example yeah. here and saying, look, CPM, you got X amount, I'm going to pay you, you know, whatever that CPN is for that type of media. How do you go back? Like, what would be a advice you yeah. get to say, look, you know, I need to be compensated in all the ways, not just the yeah. audience. So few things, myself as a creator and everybody that does want to create content or who currently is, you have to command your price. You know, don't let a brand dictate what you're worth based off your audience. So if you believe that your following is worth, you know, a $25 CPM and they think it's 20, you know, stand your ground a little bit. Like that, you're selling your time and effort and community and brand image and your personality. So don't, you know, try to cheapen that in any way. But another way to kind of save your time and money is by eliminating how many revisions you do for a brand or an agency. So not just saying, okay, I'm going to do whatever creative content you want. It's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks in order to get the finished product that you like. Listen, I'm going to give you a draft and then you got maybe one or two revisions and then we're going with it. So I think that's kind of important to protect your time as a creator. And it's definitely going to be respected in most cases when you're working with brands. That's actually such a great point. And I used to work at a design studio where I was client facing. And so I had a ton of conversations with graphic design and animation projects where we were basically trying to put a tangible scope around an intangible thing, which is digital content, right? And so first of all, I'll just give the recommendation to people, have those hard conversations at the very beginning, because if you're halfway down the road and you're like, oh, by the way, you only get two revisions, that conversation is not going to go the right way, the way you want it to. Secondly, if someone's not going to agree, this is really hard because you want that money, you want that project. Sometimes you need that money. Mm-hmm. But if you're if somebody's not going to agree to your limited revisions, you don't want them as a client. You're just going to have a bad client and you're going to be better off saying no and and going on to the next thing. But I, I used to always use the analogy of building a house. You know, and we'd say how because in animation specifically, like there's some phases of the process where you can change stuff very easily. And there's other phases where you can't change something really easily. It's And sometimes clients would get confused like, oh, I thought that request was reasonable because 
two weeks ago you changed all this stuff and it's like yeah well i didn't explain that quite well enough but yeah a, a huge time suck can be those revisions and so that is a great way to place parameters around it and essentially say look just like you're gonna be building a house you know if we paint the room blue it's gonna take time and effort to then paint it red when you want to see it red right so why don't we paint door instead of the whole room Mm. (laughs) get your feedback and then we'll paint the rest of the room sort of a thing great way to think about it yeah so a lot of time and heartache figuring that out let me tell you so hopefully we we saved somebody a little bit of that with this back and forth we have about 10 minutes here and i love just sharing information actionable items that the the audience can take a lot of people want to start their own podcast they've got a passion they've got an interest they've got an expertise and like you said there's low barriers to entry to get going Mm -hmm. right if i'm in this audience and i'm thinking you know what I'm inspired by Henry and his content creating path. This is awesome. Maybe I could drive a little revenue for myself. How can somebody get started and get to a point of, okay, now I'm running down the road? Yeah. We talked about a little bit earlier, quality content consistently. That is really going to be the key. One of the kind of embarrassing truths about my content to some people when I tell them this is my podcast is very scripted, extremely scripted. I do two episodes a week and I combine the show docs and they typically are about 14 pages long. So for two hours of content, I write out everything and it's very detail oriented. There's research that goes into it. That's kind of what makes it quality, but I'm not afraid to prepare to make the show really good. So that's kind of something that I would keep in mind is, you know, make sure you are ensuring that the quality of the content is worth listening to. Mm -hmm. The other sort of piece of advice that I didn't necessarily know going into it, but was able to extract from kind of my experience after the fact is I noticed that my community was very nice. Okay. We have a lot of five-star reviews. We have an amazing discord community and being in the gaming space, that's kind of known as sometimes toxic. That yeah, that's a rare experience. Always, yeah, so <laughs> I've been trying to figure out why are people so nice in the third-party community, but if I go over to another Apex creator, maybe it's not the same. Well, it probably and, just directly reflects on the host, be my well, guess. A little bit. So this is kind of my my conclusion. My working theory is we are positive about the game. So we talk about it all the time. There's things that sometimes we don't love yeah. that happen in the game, but we keep it positive. And the reason that we chose to do that from day one is if somebody's listening to a podcast about Apex, they probably like Apex. So there's no (laughs) real need to hate on the game or to be negative or to voice our frustrations because people just want to have a good time hearing about a game that they really like. So by us keeping the content positive, I am very confident that that allowed our community to be positive. That allowed us to grow faster, have a welcoming environment, and honestly put considerable income into my pocket 
consistently. Like we have an amazing yeah. group of patrons and now I'm part of a network and we're in the EA creators network. I said the Patreon ambassadors program, like I've gotten all these opportunities come, I think mostly because of that positivity. So wow. I wouldn't try to ignore trying to keep things light and be friendly when you're creating content. Yeah. You know, there's something too that just positive positivity attracts yeah probably there's something i'm just guessing but it's probably even just physically easier to listen to positive Mm -hmm. stuff longer than negative stuff Mm -hmm. and boy you know marketing is all about differentiation and it's a little bit sad but i think positivity can be a pretty big differentiator (laughs) when you're talking about online content right it's absolutely true john absolutely true And there's also a way to be honest and critical in a positive way as well. How how have you kind of been able to manage that where there's something in the game, you don't maybe the the most recent map or something like that, that you're not the biggest fan of, and you need to be honest too, right? You can't Mm. just be like Apex fanboy that has no Mm. credibility. How do you balance that? So kind of two points in one. Having a co-host, I think, is great. So if you're starting a podcast, do your best to grab a co-host because it allows you to have, I think, better conversations more consistently and it keeps you accountable to keep doing it. So I think that goes a long way, but that also helps you be honest so that Mm -hmm. you can kind of balance each other out. If maybe I'm a little bit more upset about a game feature and I'm like, oh, wow, my favorite legend, Gibraltar, they're trying to nerf him. I'm so mad about that. My co-host is going to be able to be the other side of that and to say, well, I think Mm. this is a fair direction and, you know, this is what's best for player retention, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm able to come around on that. So I think that really helps. But also, and this isn't the best advice because it's kind of a cheat, but getting answers helps you be more positive. So if you're frustrated about something that you're making content about, definitely in a game, having conversations with developers goes a long way. Like I've had the lead game designer, I've had the weapons designer, I've had designers that have made legends. So things that I don't fully understand that can lead to frustration, I now know the truth about, and I can then be really genuine in how I share my opinions and facts about the game. So I think doing research also allows you to be positive. Yeah, that's really important point because a lot of times we just do not understand the context of something. Yeah. And so I, there's somebody said one time about knowing people's stories or their their paths and that's one of the reasons why i love hosting this podcast is sharing people's career paths but it's something to the effect of it's really difficult to hate on someone whose journey you're familiar with totally and in the same way there's some aspect of a game that they change or you know they drop a new map or whatever you may just not understand their purpose for it and they're seeing on the publisher side a lot more than you are. Maybe they're getting all this feedback that you just have a different opinion and people are asking for this. It's like, hey, we did this thing. Might not be your favorite thing. Or maybe it's part of a longer journey. If they're like, well, we have this end goal six months from now and to get there, we have to do this thing because we have to evolve it or any other thing. So yeah, that additional context, I think is a great way to kind of think about life more broadly even beyond the video game. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Speaking of life more broadly, as we let you go here, first of all, I love interviewing content creators. They are the easiest interviews of all time because you're so good at talking and you specifically, Henry, are just so great with sharing your your insights here. People want to take away one thing from this episode. What would that be? I think if you have a passion for creating content, do it. I got started in a bedroom with a few hundred dollar mic or a few hundred dollars worth of this equipment period. Mm -hmm. And I just did it. And, you know, having now the opportunity to have a career and a venture and a podcast allows me so much control over my life. And even Mm -hmm. though I work a lot, you know, I don't get the most traditional weekends. I don't have to say yes to that brand deal for my podcast. You know, I have other sources of income, I have other things going on. I, I like to keep a lot of sticks in the fire. And so I really recommend that if anybody wants to do a podcast, Number one, please reach out to me because I'd love to share more thoughts and help you out, but just do it because it's so easy. Podcasting is so much easier than any other form of content creation, in my opinion, and it's worth it. It's worth doing. And I'll build on that by saying, once you start, identify your goals Mm -hmm. apart from the monetization. Like, I mean, hey, let's hope that you become hugely followed and you know you can make a lot of money doing it but don't let that be your only goal and then don't quit yeah just keep doing it time and consistency like we said so before i let you go here you said reach out to you how can people do that get a hold of you and listen to the podcast i think linkedin is going to be best for me so you know, my DMs are open on LinkedIn, but you can also hit me up on Twitter at HB Burson. And yeah, I mean, if you follow the third party podcast and join our discord, I'm very active uh, with my listeners over there. So if you listen to that Apex show, you'll definitely catch my attention. And join that Patreon as well. <laughs> Shameless plug. Thank Shameless you, plug. Looking forward to the checks in the mail for the referral fee <laughs> on all of this coming in. We'll work something out. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Henry, I just so appreciate your time today. Your path as a content creator has been really inspiring to me. I've learned a lot from you and I just love having this opportunity to share those learnings with the audience as well. So thank you again for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. It was a pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.